the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. George Brocker back with you here. 710 KNUS. It is hour two of four. Charlie Kirk at 10. Dennis Prager after that. I still haven't figured out the morning show now that we've changed some things around and we gave someone an hour here and we got rid of an hour there and one thing leads to another and then it's Seb Gorka and then it's Brandon Tatum and then we go live and local back here again tomorrow at 6 a.m. As you know, since October the 7th, Tons going on over in Israel between uh, Hamas, the Palestinians on the Gaza Strip, and the IDF, Israeli Defense Force. Our guy on the ground throughout all of this has been Neil Dobro. He is a uh, former Denverite, current resident of Israel. I don't even know if he has plans on coming back, by the way. But he has been actively engaged in this, not just as someone on the ground there, but as someone trying to make a difference, he has taken time out of his evening over there to be with us yet again. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thank you, George. Thanks for having me. Uh, you've got a lot to talk about, things that you've done. In fact, you've even gone down to the what you described to me, at least in your text, is the Gaza envelope. What is that, and why were you there? So the Gaza envelope are, are all the communities around Gaza itself, and they were the ones that were hit the hardest by the invasion on October the 7th. Uh, so we went with a group called Unity Warriors. Your listeners can look them up on the Internet. Uh, they they uh, give uh, equipment and supplies to the, to the troops. So, for example, now they need winter clothing, and we took down 200 uh, trauma kits, emergency trauma kits, that literally saved lives of soldiers. And if your listeners want to uh, participate in that, I'll be glad to send you a link of where they can do that, or they can go online. But uh, that was our mission. Uh, went down with Rich Sokol, actually, and with uh, some Unity Warrior people, and uh, we delivered the supplies. So we got to visit with uh, a, a, an awful lot of soldiers and had extensive conversations with them. And I can report to you that their spirits are very high. They're, they're locked into their mission uh, despite the losses. Um, they feel a great, we thank them for serving them, for serving, and they thanked us that they had the privilege to serve. So it was great to see them. We learned for sure they don't want to kill Palestinian civilians, but everybody is suspect down there. We heard of the story of a woman who came out with her baby in a white flag and uh, came towards the soldiers to surrender. Soldiers went out to, to aid her, and it was a Hamas trap. And uh, they opened fire, and so, uh, soldiers got killed. I heard as many as 10 soldiers got, got killed. Oh, boy. And... The, the uh, IDF has moved civilians to a safe zone. Hamas has moved into the safe zone and started firing rockets at Israeli civilians. Uh, to, just to put 
Israel in the position of having to kill uh, kill people to get to those rocket launches. And uh, that's a dilemma for the soldiers, I can tell you. Yeah, I'm reading this. Neil, if you haven't looked at this, it might give you a different perspective of what's going on over there from a little bit higher um, level. There's something called the Institute for the Study of Warfare. If you just go to understandingwar.org, they go through on a daily basis kind of the major movings of IDF and Hamas and all this other stuff. And, And they've talked about a couple things. One, the big one that I saw here was they make reference to a Wall Street Journal revelation of the intricate tunnel system that Hamas had developed in and around Gaza. I'm going to mispronounce the name of this place, but you tell me if I'm close. It's B-E-I-T. Is that Beit Lahia? Beit Lahia? Beit Lahia, yes. They've said that in the Gaza Strip that the IDF has located about 1,500 tunnel shafts and routes in the Gaza Strip since the beginning of the ground operation. That's just since the beginning. And and they use those shafts to pop up and snipe at the soldiers and do exactly what you described right there. They also create the environment in which the IDF can't launch a typical ground campaign against a uniformed known opponent. I mean, these people by design are, as you pointed out, trying to create scenarios where they're intermixed with the civilians. And there's only a couple options, and that is do nothing or do something that puts civilians unintentionally at risk. Right. That's exactly right. And the the, the blame for all of that doesn't lie with the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. It lies strictly with Hamas, who puts their own people in danger. Uh, we heard of stories of tunnels being found under babies' beds and in kindergartens and certainly in hospitals under mosques. Right. And Unbelievable. Course, I'm sorry to interrupt, Neil. You had also had said, hey, I want to talk about what an end game looks like here. I'm over here, back where it's uh, relatively safe, and All I hear about are the growing cries for a ceasefire, 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 ceasefire. All this nonsense disconnected from the reality that a ceasefire with a functional, even existing Hamas can provide nothing by way of lasting peace, meaningful peace. But that's what I hear. When you're over there in Israel, what is being told to you about how this thing resolves? Well... You know, there are various opinions, and nothing is has been uh, set firmly. But I can tell you that among everybody that I speak with, there, there's a resolve to finish this thing. Look, it's like if you had a cancerous tumor, and your surgeon went in and said, well, I got 60% of it. You know, there was too much blood, too much bleeding, whatever. I couldn't finish the job. You know what's going to happen. The tumor will come back. That's right. But nobody said... After Dresden, uh, Hitler's had enough. We don't have to remove him from power. Uh, let's just let him be. You what know was the what negotiated was, peace with the Nazis going to look like? What? what how? Right. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. Right. There, you can't. You can't negotiate with people who one want to kill each and every one of you, each and every Jew. And then, by the way, after they kill Jews, Christians are the next uh, target. 
So you can't negotiate with, with people like that. You only have to eliminate them. Um, and that's the position that we're in. Uh, so we've tried incentives. Listen, in 205, we completely and mistakenly, I feel, withdrew from Gaza. Uh, and we said to them, okay, you want a state? Here's your little state. See what you can do. And we left them with millions of dollars worth of the most uh, advanced greenhouses in the world to start an economy. It was all kinds of aid, all kinds of business incentives for them. And what did they do? They elected Hamas. Hamas violently threw off the Palestinian Authority, the PA. They threw them off of the tops of buildings, and they created a, a military base. So when we give concessions, we show weakness, and what we get back is rockets and, and military incursions like we just got. Um, we cannot, we can, and, and, and I think people in Israel have realized it. Uh, there's some polls show a 44% shift to the right uh, of the of, in the political views of, of people here. Now, you know, that the world doesn't get it, and even people in the United States don't get it. We don't have another choice. We cannot live with Hamas. And we can't trust our security to other people, certainly not to the UN. Uh, the UN is supposed to push uh, Hezbollah ever, uh, and they I'm didn't here. do it. And, ne- yeah. Neil, let me ask you this then. How, how does this, what are they telling you? What's the, is there a calendar they give you that we hope to be done by X number of months or weeks? Or I, I read somewhere that Netanyahu's talking about, hey, settle in for the long haul. What does that even mean? And and. Does Israel believe and is it willing to persist in an environment in which world opinion, and I don't know that this is really happening, it's just the sense from the reporting, continues to shift towards, hey, we need to end this now. We need to figure out a way to get some sort of a peace with these monsters who behead babies. Right. I I think that uh, there's resolve to finish it. We don't have any other choice. We can't live with them uh, in power. So we have to persevere. And what they're talking now, I've heard people talking about it's going to take a year. Not at this level, but uh, in fact, we're probably scaling down a little bit now. But however long it takes, we're going to occupy Gaza. We're going to make sure that, that no military force such as Hamas or anybody else can rise up to threaten the Jewish people and, and threaten the, the nearby towns like the ones that we were in uh, last week. Um, we, we really have no other choice, and, and I think there's great resolve to finish it. So I see it being low, low level for a long term, and somebody will have to come in and redo the education system, which under the UN has taught the, the Palestinian children terrible things, genocide. You know, they teach them, uh, uh, if I kill uh, three Jews and Muhammad kills four Jews, how many Jews are dead? That's that's math. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what they teach. The highest value is is to kill Jews. And we've got to change that education system if there's going to be uh, any kind of hope for peace. Not in our generation, but in generations to come. So we have to be there. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. No, 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 I was done. 
No, I was just saying, we're we're talking with Neil Dobro, our guy on the ground in Israel. Neil, you've got some other things you're going to be doing, too, in the near term. What is that? Well, we're headed back down uh, south probably tomorrow to uh, deliver more uh, kits and and to meet with more soldiers. Uh, We saw this last trip, and we're going to visit Kfa Azen, which is the scene of uh, one of the worst atrocities. Uh, There were three very, very badly hit uh, southern communities. Many were hit. But we're going to visit that again. Uh, We saw amazing things there, burnt-out houses. And when I say burnt-out houses, the residents were inside, and they were burnt to death. Uh, We saw in some of the houses dishes still in the sink and laundry in the dryers. Uh, We know that women were right there in front of their families, and beheadings were done by Hamas with with garden hoses. So uh, we want to be there to witness history, so that when people say that uh, it didn't really happen or it wasn't, well, we know that we were there. We also visited the scene of the uh, Nova Music Festival, where uh, Hamas uh, came in when they did their invasion, and through their drones, they spotted this music festival of young people going on. And they went in and they, they murdered hundreds and hundreds of young people and gang-raped the women. Uh, so it was very... Uh, it was very uh, powerful being there. We saw posters of, uh, of the kids who were killed. Uh, we met with uh, parents uh, of, of, of kids, uh, parents of kids who had been killed in the, in the murder, and we spoke with them. And there's a feeling of disbelief. Israel will, will never be the same after October 7th. So... How do you think, what are the lingering differences it's going to leave with Israel? Well, I think that the the blind hope, the blind faith of being able to have a two-state solution and live uh, peacefully with our Palestinian uh, cousins, that we could do that is is off the table. We we can't. Um, And I think that will linger. I don't think we're going to fall for it. So this idea of a ceasefire only helps Hamas, only helps them to regroup. So we're not going to give in to a ceasefire. Even the limited ceasefire we had for the hostages cost many, many Israeli lives, Israeli soldiers' lives. And we see that that would recur. So we're definitely against the ceasefire. And we, we oppose people in the States and, and elsewhere who called for it. Does this accelerate the uh, discussion about a two-state solution? I mean, does this, like the idea that, hey, there's the carrot and the stick, here's the stick right now, we're going to get rid of Hamas, and then if you guys want to talk about managing and governing yourselves, we can have that conversation, or how does it work? Not that they weren't before, but you know what I mean. First of all, two states hasn't worked for 75 years, and there has been numerous, numerous offers to give them states. Uh, starting in 1948, uh, uh, during Ehud Barak's uh, term as president back in the early 2000s, we almost begged them to take it, gave them 99% of their territory. Uh, of the territory. Uh, every offer has been refused, and every offer has been met with more terrorism. I think that the discussion of two states is, is off the table, at least in this generation. 
what has to happen is what happened in Germany after World War II, where you had a process of denazification of Germany. And I think that's what you have to do. These people, Hamas, who carried out these atrocities, are worse than the Nazis. Clearly, they have genocide as their intent. And the Nazis, at least, were ashamed of what they did. They murdered Jews, but they, and they went home at night and got drunk and did what they did. Hamas, on the other hand, filmed the whole thing with GoPros and are proud of what they did. Uh, and we have conversations. We've intercepted conversations. Uh, one Hamas Nick calling up his father. Uh, father, look what I did today. I killed myself 10 Jews. And he's proud Jeez. of it. Jeez. So it's going to be a long time. And there's no leadership to make a two-state solution with. The Palestinian Authority is, is as bad as, as Hamas. Uh, they believe in doing it in stages. Hamas believes in one stage. Well, okay. Uh, they, I, I, then what's the answer? Because if I'm listening out there to us talk right now, I'm thinking, okay, if that's not the answer, what? not when do we get to the end game, but now what? Let's say we get Hamas out of there. We eradicate Hamas. As it, What's next? Right. Well, I think that's the first step. And you have to understand that Hamas won't be 100% eradicated, that the population there very much uh, supports uh, Hamas. 65% of of the uh, Arabs in Gaza and 85% in Judea and Samaria, the area around I live, support what happened October 7th. So if Jeez. we just get rid of Hamas and, and leave it, it will come back. So we've got to be there to, to uh, occupy and ensure security and to re-educate the, the Palestinian people to peace and what it means to live in peace with the neighbors. They, yeah, they also have to be dis, dissuaded from the notion that they can get rid of Israel. Uh, when they feel strong, when they feel victorious, that's when they, they strike. Neil, here's the problem. So, I know you see this. No. When you've spent the last two generations, maybe longer, and I've seen some of these videos on social media too, training kids to grow up to hate Jews the way you've described and thinking of them as less than human and one is seeing them eradicated. Once you've done that to the, in essence, the intellectual DNA of a generation or two generations, you can't negotiate that away. I don't know how you fix that. I'm not sure how we did it with the, uh, the Nazis and the Germans post-World War II, but it feels like this is going to be a couple generations at a minimum from being close to a place where you can talk about what peaceful coexistence looks like. Yes, yes I, I, I think that's true. Uh, many years ago, a very dear friend of mine who lives in Israel, and who, by the way, is a leftist, said to me, there won't be a solution for this in our lifetime. And I didn't believe him. I'm an optimist. And I said, no, we'll solve it. But he was right. Uh, it won't be in our lifetime. But I'm still an optimist, and I still think it can be done, and I still think that we can live in peace. But... It's got to change on the other side. Israelis are ready now. Uh, we want it. But we know that if we lay down our arms, there'll be a bloodbath. And the Gazans oh have to know that if they lay down their arms, there'll be peace. 
then there would be peace. So, but we've got to, as you say, it's in their DNA, and we have to change the DNA. We have to change their society. Neil Dobro, keep up the good fight, man. My last question to you is always going to be the selfish one. For me, still, still targeting for the moment, uh, getting in there, flying in there in the uh, latter part of this month. How safe are we talking, getting in there to Tel Aviv? Oh, I think there's no problem. There's been no uh, attack on any planes landing in in Tel Aviv. Um, And, look, there's still some dangers, but... It's not a day-to-day thing. They're degrading their rocket ability every day. Uh, that's the only way they can reach Tel Aviv is by rocket. And uh, the chance of getting hit by a rocket is very, very slim. There have been very few casualties. And I think if people want to come over, people want to come over here, it's safe. Uh, many people are visiting now, making solidarity missions. I don't yeah, think Rich Sokol back over there with his family. He's he's here now. We, we spend New Year's Eve together, and we're going down yeah, cool. to uh, Gaza together. So absolutely, um, I, I and we're looking the, forward the, to it. Based on what you've described, Neil, I know my kids will ask the question: Is it less likely to get hit by a rocket here or there? <laughs> I think the answer is here, but I get what you're saying. I mean, that that makes me feel a lot better. I just don't want this thing to broaden. And when I see the Navy sinking some Houthi boats, when I see some stuff taking place in Syria and above the border there in Lebanon, I start to think to myself, at what point are we unable to hold back the opposing forces that decide this is our chance, let's all bum rush Israel at the same time? Um, I don't know that that's going to happen. I think that's obviously the big worry, but I don't know that that's going to happen. I think the way that it is most likely to happen is if Israel shows weakness. Because in this part of the world, if you show weakness, you're in trouble. You're going to get attacked. So we don't want to to go looking for fights, but I think that we want to show strength. And hopefully that's what we're going to do. Now, we're going to get a fight up north no matter what, because we have over 100,000 citizens of Israel in the north who cannot return to their home. So we've got to do what Resolution 1701 of the United Nations said and move Hezbollah north of the Latani River. Uh, will they go peacefully? I don't think so. So I think there's going to be wider war, but I, I, I'm optimistic that it won't spread. Let's just wait till February for that. That's all I'm saying. Wait till I get back home. Neil Dobro, I uh, I think we might have you on before I head out there. But if not, man, I'm obviously going to coordinate with you offline and try to figure out a way to hook up with you. Right. We're looking forward to that. I've already got some things planned for you. Good, good, cool. Hey, stay safe. Say hi to Rich for me, and uh, we'll be back in touch. Will do. Thank you, George. Happy New Year, man. Hey, that's uh, that's Neil Dobro. He's our guy on the ground out there in Israel, along with Rich Sokol, who you've heard from. Let's cut away for a break. I am interested in having... There's so many things going on, by the way, current events-wise uh, today. But I do want to have a conversation with you about um, where are you with this? Are you in a different place now almost three months removed? Yeah, almost three months removed from the attack by Hamas. Do you want to see this thing brought to an end? Do you want to see the ceasefire sooner rather than later? Do you disagree with with Neil? I don't. I 
I simply can't envision a world in which Hamas is allowed to persist. I just I can't envision. How do you negotiate with those people? And according to Neil, the PLO, the Palestinian, um, well, the PLO, but the uh, Palestinian uh, alternative is is no better. They've spent generations teaching kids to hate Jews and see them as animals and less than human beings. What do you do with that? How do you fix that? To me, this is a horrible tragedy in that um, there are clearly Palestinians who are not Hamas, who are victims of what's taking place here. But I don't see them as victims of the IDF. There is no alternative. If you can think of an alternative to the IDF moving into Gaza and through Gaza to clean out Hamas, a meaningful solution to this Call me and tell me what it is. 303-696-1971. 303-696-1971. We'll check the, the text as well. Listen, stick around. We're going to cut away for a quick break, and we'll come back. I am, for those of you listening, feeling like I have this urge to pee because of the water spectacular going on over my shoulder, I'm making efforts, I swear to you, every single break to figure out how to turn it off. I may just end up having to relocate inside. We may do that at the top of the hour. Stick around. George Brockler, 710 KUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710 KUS. My thanks to Neil Dobro from Israel giving us the update on everything going on there. Uh, For those of you that watched the ball drop on New Year's, I did, um, from New York. They had Green Day couple thoughts on that one. A little bit of controversy. I'll mention that second. First, these dudes, and I told Billy this off air, these guys don't look like they're in their 50s. And for a guy that's in his 50s that I'm I'm seeing myself on camera right now, and I'm like, what have I not done with my skin that I should have? Because these guys, none of them look any different. They, none of them look really much different than they did 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. You I know, mean, when they were... <laughs> yeah, which... Yeah, what, what money, extra time, and lots of good skincare will do for you. Yes. Uh, Is it too late? Can we not reverse it? Because these guys look great, and they sound really good. They sound strong. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too late for me, not for you. You still have hope. Mine, no. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Mine's genetic. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing they did that was controversial was they slipped in a line about MAGA into their song... Yeah, and um, it's not the first time they've done it. I did a little research on it. Apparently, they've yeah. done this before, but it, it created some controversy. And yeah, I every, guess I get it. Why get it? Get it? How? Why? Why no, did no, it, I get it? Why in did everybody get all butthurt? What was the reason? What? Why? No, why? I'm not butthurt by it I know, at all. But a I'm lot of saying, people. Did. I can get how people that are watching, you know, the Dick Clark's ball drop. Uh, that's yeah. an awkward thing to say out loud, <laughs> out loud like that. But when you're turning in to watch that, you're like, hey, I want to be entertained. And then all of a sudden you get punched in the face with a political message. I get that part of it. I don't get the part where anyone's surprised that it was Green Day that did it or, or that they would do it. But I can see someone saying, whoa, whoa, I didn't expect this to turn into an like like turning into the Academy Awards and listening to one of those goofball actors say something in their speech that's political. Uh, it's like, here, I the thing, didn't though. tune in for that. It's it's one line. They did four songs, it. and it's one line. It, it, I, I, it's not the same thing as tuning into the Academy Awards and someone turning their you know their acceptance speech into a four-minute diatribe on the evils of capitalism. Uh, this is one line inside of one song, and everybody went, Oh, I hurt my feelings! <laughs> Which I find absolutely <laughs> ironic. Because the people that called everyone else snowflakes, 
the people that line up behind Trump in part because of his abrasiveness, because of the name calling, because of how aggressive he is, those people that wrote, had the T-shirts on that said F your feelings, those people go, oh, my God, this man said something about our God King. <laughs> Come on, people. It Pull up it your diapers and get, him. and get a it hold of yourself. Movement, but... Who cares? But the idea is uh, Green Day has done this forever. I mean, come on. Our, our own little giant baby that has his own social media site, uh, Elon Musk, goes on and, well, I guess Green Day is not raging against the machine anymore. Hey, you moron. That's the wrong band. Have you been paying attention? Do you even, I mean, Elon Musk showed that he doesn't even know a Green Day song outside of a pop ones. He has no idea who they are. He's been and, busy inventing, Billy. Yes, inventing stuff that never happens. Yeah, how about that Hyperloop <laughs> company? That worked out great, huh? Huh, Elon? You said we were going to go from L.A. to New York in 45 minutes, and you just went bankrupt and closed it. Nice job. Oh, is that, that true? Worked out. Yeah, they closed oh, it down. Well, well, the Hyperloop was a bunch of crap anyway. He's a dreamer. I know, Don't but you the, get it. he's a dreamer that was able to raise $500 million on the back of his BS dream. Yeah, good job, guys. Nice it job. It seems like you and I ought to be able to at, re at least raise $50,000 on the backs of our crappy exactly. dreams, at our least, middle yeah. class dreams. My, 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 my chance of being a snake breeder. No, the, but the idea is, with Elon, <laughs> Elon goes out there and, and he gets mad at, uh, at Green. Uh, and he says, oh, now they're, they're this. Have you paid attention? Green no, Day has always been no a little bit, you know, anti-political as far as establishment. I understand you want them to take shots at Biden. However, they do seem to be more liberal. That's kind of the punk ethos. Do you remember? It just didn't bug me. Yeah. It just didn't bug well, me. I, it, I, I get it. I I understand why people can be disappointed yeah. or upset. And in part, Green Day didn't do it because it was nothing. They did no. it because they thought it was meaningful to do it. Yeah. And, and so it, we can't diminish it all the way. Of and like, they got hey, it was just one line. Attention. And they got attention. They said one line, <laughs> and they got yeah. more attention than anything else they could have done. Oh, yeah, outside they became of walking, relevant again, yeah, for sure. Outside of walking out and being naked on stage. The other part that I have to remind people is um, that was a song from the American Idiot album, You Freak Shows. Uh, are you not familiar with the entire album? That album, in and of itself, despite being a rock opera, is also an indictment of the George Bush years. That, that's what it is. At the core of that entire yeah. message is an indictment of the George Bush years in America. And, and then we're surprised that they changed one of the lines in the political song yeah. to be relevant today. Really? Yeah. Again, you, you, you people, stop, stop criticizing them if you're not paying attention to the band. You can get mad, but you can get all butthurt, but it just shows that you don't know what you're doing. You're talking out of your rear end. I mean, Elon Musk showed that he has no idea what he is doing as far as commenting on either pop culture or on Green Day. Yeah. That he has no relevance he, as far as the band. He, so Elon will be in the news up, a lot, I imagine, this oh, yeah. year. I, one other thing. Again, this has become... Post that first segment, the 7 o'clock hour, Billy, yeah. this has become a bit of a free-for-all potpourri <laughs> of news because yeah. you referenced Elon. Something else happened not favorable for him. He had sort of reached out to Mr. Beast, who we had mentioned yes. last week at some point, and suggested, hey, why don't you put up some of your videos here on X? Yeah. And Mr. Beast said no. <laughs> he yep. said, listen, you can't possibly come up with a fraction of of what it costs in terms of monetization, a fraction of the cost of what it takes for me to produce these things. So yeah. when you get that fixed, give me a call. That was in essence what he said. A lot of the reports just seemed to be like, hey, he rebuffed him. It was sort of rebuffing, but it wasn't like I hate you, Elon. It was no. your platform doesn't generate money, and that's how this thing gets funded. I can't do this for free. Yeah, Mr. Beast is incredibly savvy based on social media, and he looked at um, how big – Tucker Carlson's show has become and went, yeah, hard pass. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tucker Carlson. Should, yeah. It's not big. Nobody cares. So that's the that's the lesson here. Because you remember a number of months ago, people Tucker was leaving Fox, and they're like, "Oh my God, he's on the X. He's going to be amazing, yeah. and he's going to yeah, yeah. now he's irrelevant. He is largely irrelevant. That's what has happened. Really? Yes. When is the last I time that you've seen heard anything it on there other than clips? No, I have no, never but, but watched again, the whole show. But. I know, but when is the last time that you have seen anything that Tucker has done or interviewed that's anything other than just laughable at this point? Where is he advancing the conversation as he used to on Fox? UFOs. Where is he advancing again? He's got nothing. <laughs> that, that's the part. Is, is he's he's got nothing. He's so irrelevant yeah. at this point. He has he has gone into the ether of Bill O'Reilly, yeah. where they don't get to you know they don't change the conversation anymore. So is that's Bill what Mr. O'Reilly Beast still alive? Yes, he is. Yes, um, but that's the thing. Is yeah, Mr. Beast looked at the reach that uh, X has. Yeah, and that's said, what it sounded like. No. It was all it was all like, hey, yeah. I can't make it on what you can generate. Yeah, I just YouTube, can't. These these videos cost millions. Yeah. You can't produce enough no. revenue to justify no, it. I, I think YouTube is the number three largest social platform. If not, it's in the top five. What? Yeah. If not, um, X isn't even in the top 15. W- what's one or two? Um, I think Facebook is one, and I think and Facebook is one or two, and then there's the Chinese, whatever the, the thing that they do. TikTok. It's the same thing. Yeah, TikTok's up there, but I think and that's why I'm not sure if it's four or five. But there's a, another social media site inside of China, just based on numbers that um, that I forgot the name. I can't pull the name out of my stupid head right now. Uh, but that's yeah, normally number not your one. Head you're reaching into. So, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Th- this has turned into sort of a free for all thing on this, which yeah. I'm happy to do because there were other things that um, that popped up in the news over the last few days that I thought probably worth a little bit of a chitty chat here. One of them is there's a woman named Nikki Haley, former U.N. ambassador, former two-time governor of South Carolina, who appears to be now the number two challenger overtaking Ron DeSantis in a couple of the different states like New Hampshire. Now, granted, she's still way behind the DJT, but she did a couple things last week. We didn't really talk about them, but I think they're important for a conversation to have about what's what's coming for us in the future here. I mean, by this time next year, think about that, Billy. By this time next year, we'll be talking about um, whoever the president-elect is. And at this point, I don't know. The decent money could go on either one of these guys, but I think Trump could do this thing. Uh, we'll be talking about that. But until then, we're on the road towards this. And one of the things that Nikki Haley said was, that she didn't think that the Civil War was, initially, she said she thought that the Civil War wasn't about slavery. That turns out to have been in conflict with a whole lot of things, including history itself. But um, she ended up retracting that and then coming back and saying, yes, yes, states' rights. But when the states' rights being exercised are the states' rights to own people and stuff like that, you feel like, okay, maybe slavery was part of it. But here's the one I wanted to chat about. Billy, I don't know if you saw this or not, but she came out. And said in advance she would pardon President Trump if he was found guilty. And this is when she was getting bludgeoned by that nine-year-old boy. Do you remember that? I think we talked about that last week. That nine-year-old boy, the plant, Adam, who showed up and said, you know, mom and dad told me to say you're just like John Kerry. And then he asked her if she would pardon Trump. You and I mentioned this a long time ago when these indictments came down. This was going to become part of the litmus test as these candidates who are trying to defeat him for the primary are working their way through the country. And sure enough, here it is. It shows up and Nikki Haley gives the answer. Yes, I will pardon him. And um, 
it's the first huge misstep other than the slavery thing where I'm like, dang it, why did you take the bait? Why did you do that? Because to me, this is no different than somebody campaigning on, if you elect me, I will sue the opioid makers. Or if you elect me, I will go after Joe Biden and his son Hunter. I mean, the idea that we are continuing to turn the criminal justice process into the political justice process, this feeds right into that. And I'm incredibly disappointed that anybody would announce in advance, I will pardon Trump before we see the evidence, before a jury gets to weigh in. I just feel like it cheapens the entire process. I I don't... I don't know that there's any other person on the planet, certainly not in the United States, where they would get this kind of treatment up front, which is to have a candidate who's running for an office that has the power to do it. It, um, I'm telling you, it's a, just another nail in the coffin of the criminal justice system. People are already, as you know, texting in the show, calling in the show, the FBI, bad to the bone, burn it to the ground. You know, Vivek Ramaswamy saying that he is going to instantly eradicate that. Like, what was it the other day? He tweeted out something like, I'm going to do away with the ATF and the DEA and the FBA and the FBI, and we're going to start over. I'm like, which day? Like, what day are you doing that? Is it like your first? But all of this is part of the broader narrative that we simply can't trust the criminal justice system anymore. And I'm telling you, folks, you take that plank away, there is nothing left. We devolve into anarchy because there's there's nothing left. If you can't trust to be able to pick up the phone and call the police or call the sheriff, and I, and I don't think this applies to the sheriff yet. And I say yet because you know this political thing is like a disease. It's like a virus. It does not stop. Um, But I'm interested in having the conversation with you. Does it make sense to you that a candidate should have to pledge the willingness to pardon Trump as part of this process of winning the nomination or at least being competitive? And I'm going to put my cards on the table. I'm absolutely opposed to it. And it has nothing to do with my perception of the strength of these cases. It has nothing to do with my perception of the man himself. It is the process, and you simply don't use a campaign as a vehicle to promise an outcome when it comes to the exercise of prosecutorial discretion. Any person that tells you, I will prosecute this person or entity, or I will pardon this person or entity as an effort to try to win your vote, you should shun them immediately. Do not vote for that person. They are bad for America. And now here I am stuck saying, I like Nikki Haley. I do. I, I think she'd be a great alternative. But damn, you, you just can't do that. And when Trump comes out and says, I'm going to go after Biden, I'm going to go after. I'm like, no, I, how can you support a person that does that as a vehicle to get elected? Am I wrong there? Is that what you want to see out of candidates now? 303-696-1971. My name's George. This is my show. You're listening to 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710-KNUS. Hey, listen, we've got callers on the line. I promise to get to you. I just simply don't have enough time left in this hour to do it fairly because I want to have a more detailed 
conversation with you about your thoughts than just kind of a hit and run thing. So you stay on the line, Joe, Lacey, everybody else calling in 303-696-1970. We'll get to it. Got a little back and forth going on here uh, from someone who's super, super courageous. Can't call in. Here's one. So much to discuss, but to keep piling on Trump without talking about all the things going on in D.C. and Biden is painful. I said, what's your chosen topic? He doesn't have an answer, but says uh, Brockler blames his losing AG on Trump and won't man up and own his own failure is obvious. That is a great topic, but it's actually not accurate. Um, So I said, hey, man, call in. Have the courage. You've got the accusations. Let's put them to the test, but only if you have the guts. I have an actual legitimate job. E-I-T-H, which I think is with responsibility. So apparently only the time to listen and complain by text, but can't pick up the phone and man up. Says one day on vacation he'll call in. I won't hold my breath. But that's what we exist here for, folks, is to have conversations on the phone. Love to have them with you. All you have to do is pick up the phone, 303-696-1971, and we'll get to your calls. Here's another one. Billy, you got to talk me down. You are entirely right about Haley saying she would pardon Trump. That is no better than Letitia James saying she would. How much? What you say, Billy? Oh. <laughs> Billy screaming 20 in the phone as I try to figure out what's going on. Hey, listen, let's just stick around. We'll do all the texts. We'll do all the calls. Uh, back with you and me, 303-696-1971, George Brockler, 710, KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.